My Car Guru, Season 11, Episode 49. Well, hello, folks, and welcome to another edition of My Car Guru. I'm going to be delving into some insider information. And that information would be, how do we motivate people to actually want to come in and buy a car from us? Well, you know, there are multiple ways to do that. And I'm going to talk about some of those methods and what you need to be watching out for as a consumer so that you can identify what is baloney and what is the real deal. So we're going to be talking about that. Plus, EVs. I know, you're sick of me talking about EVs. I'm sick of it myself. But anyway, it come to, come to find out that electric vehicles might be too heavy for some parking garages that were built with smaller, lighter cars in mind. Now, this is mostly coming from across the pond, the British. But many multi-story garages across the United Kingdom were built in the 60s and 70s and could be too weak to bear the added weight that EVs have. Or EVs. Did I say EVs? Anyway, uh, battery packs weighing thousands of pounds can make EVs significantly heavy. What's an EV? I'm sorry. It's an electric vehicle. Okay, we up to speed now? So they're heavier than gasoline-powered vehicles, especially the small cars that have long been commonplace in the United Kingdom. You ever been to Europe and just kind of like in London or Paris or Rome? I haven't been in London, haven't been in Paris, been in Ireland, been in Rome and all over Italy, and yeah, they like their little itty-bitty cars. So just to give you an example, a Tesla Model S weighs nearly 5,000 pounds. That's about the same weight as a Chevy Suburban. A GMC Hummer EV is really heavy. It tops out at 9,000 pounds. That is four and a half tons, I believe. By comparison, a 1970 Ford Escort, which was a popular car in England back in the 70s, weighs less than 2,000 pounds. So this is going to be a problem for people who want to find a place to park when driving an electric vehicle in the United Kingdom. Is it going to be a problem here? Well, maybe in the big cities, you know, not around here, these parts, but uh, it could be a problem over there. So I wanted to uh, get in a little bit here before we get into the main topic. Uh, what are the best-selling cars, trucks, and SUVs of 2023 so far? Well, let's start with number 25, the Subaru Outback is number 25. They've sold 32,767 units. Number 24 is the Nissan Altima at 32,000. Before I go any further, you know, you got to think about how limited the sales have been. I mean, even this year, they're, they're limited now. I mean, the um, availability of product is still not great. These numbers would be double what they are had it been normal times, literally. Uh, number 23, Chevy Malibu. That's a surprise. They're doing everything they can to clear them out before they uh, discontinue that vehicle. 37,438. Most of those are to rental car companies. Uh, number 22, Jeep Wrangler at 37.9. Uh, this is a surprise to me, the Mazda CX-5. You know, I was a Mazda dealer for a lot of years. We, we got the franchise in 1977. And the CX-5 is one of their crossovers, and Mazda is doing an interesting thing. They're trying to go up market. So they want, when you think Mazda, they want you to think a competitor for Acura. 
and Lexus and so forth. Maybe not quite there, but close. Way over Toyota, Honda, Nissan, and so forth. Is that going to work with you? What's going to do that? Is it the marketing? We'll talk about marketing here in a minute. But, uh, you know, I saw a, a the new CX-90. That's the replacement for the CX-9 the other day. And I'm telling you, it looks upmarket, uh, especially the interior. But the exterior does as well. So the CX-5 looks really good, and it's selling really well, obviously. Number 20, another Subaru, the Subaru Crosstrek at 41000 Honda Honda Accord, remember when they were number one? They're number 19 now at 42806 do you notice we're talking about passenger cars? We're not got too many SUVs other than the, well, I guess you could call the Subaru a, an SUV. Um, okay, so number 18, Toyota Corolla at 42,975. Did I say the Honda Accord at 19 at 42,806? Okay, number 17, another Honda at 45,000. The Honda Civic, small car, uh, but it's still a good seller. Now we're getting to the little crossovers. Hyundai Tucson uh, is number 16. Uh, number 15 is the Chevy Equinox, another crossover. Then we get into a pickup truck, the Toyota Tacoma. 53,583 to- Tacomas have been sold so far this year. So they are well on their way to uh, getting well over 100,000 units for the Tacoma, if they can build enough of them. That's number 14. Number 13, Jeep Grand Cherokee. That's a surprise to me, 54502 You know, they changed it last year. Uh, it was higher, but it's still a, a one of the Stellantis heroes. Uh, but it still, the sales dropped, just to give you an example, 27% compared to the first quarter of 2022. So even at 54000 that's a big step down from where they were. Toyota Highlander is number 12. Ford Explorer, number 11. Number 10 is the Tesla Model 3. 63,000. So they're build, they're selling them as fast as they can build them. Fully electric vehicle. That's the only fully electric vehicle that's in this list. Number nine, the Toyota Camry. Number eight, the GMC Sierra. Number seven, Honda CRV is doing really well. Nissan Rogue is ahead of it at, at number six with 76,000. We can't get enough Nissan Rogues. They redesigned that vehicle. They put a different transmission in it and um, completely changed the driving experience. And I think that's one of the reasons that it has jumped over the Honda CRV. But it hasn't jumped over the Toyota RAV4. I mean, if you look at number seven, number six, and number five, those are the three uh, hand-to-hand combatants as far as the small SUV market. Number five is the Toyota RAV4 at 84000 So the Nissan Rogue is really close to that. Number four, Tesla Model Y. Boy, I misspoke. I didn't see that. Tesla Model Y at 85000 is another electric vehicle. And that's the primary reason for that? California. California A. That's where most of those are sold. Number three, Ram Pickup. Number two, Chevy Silverado. And, of course, number one, the Ford F-Series truck at 170377 So $170,000. For the F-150, 123 for the Silverado, and 105 for the Ram. So that is the top 25 best-selling vehicles. I'm going to take my first break. I'll be back here in just one minute. Okay, I am back. I did want to talk a little bit about, you know, what drives you into 
a car dealership to buy. You know, I, I have struggled with this for a long time as far as message. You know, what does a car dealer need to say in order to say, you know, we have we are the place for you to come by? Typically, if I was a consumer, you know, I want to go to some place that has a big selection, obviously. Um, I want to go someplace. This is traditionally, I, sh- I should say. Big selection. Uh, if I go onto the lot and there's a whole lot of pressure and a whole lot of hype and stuff, I'm not going to like that. I'm not going to like being pushy or somebody pushing me around. I'll give you an example. I went to a RV store the other day, and I, I've been wanting to look at just some of the latest uh, Super C RVs. This is a, a vehicle that actually you can drive, okay? Um, it's like a motorhome, except it uses a Freightliner chassis, and it just looks like a you know a big delivery truck with a with a cab over sleeping area. It's like a, a van. You know, most of the times you see them as a van. They call them a a Class C RV. A Class A RV is is like a motorhome. So I wanted to look at some of the latest uh, in that, and then I went to look at fifth wheels. Well, I was there at that store for probably I'm going to say 45 minutes to an hour, and I was with a salesperson, and I started the conversation the way I suggest. You start the conversation when you walk into a dealership and sit down with a salesperson and say, I'm not here to buy anything today, but I'm seeking information. I'm thinking about upgrading from our current vehicle, which is a 40-foot, well, what is it, 37-foot camper that I have, a travel trailer. And I told him what I had and stuff like that. And, you know, he, he just didn't act like he was really engaged with me. And I sensed that from the beginning. So anyway, I spent all this time, and he walked around. He was nice. We got in a golf cart so I wouldn't have to walk too far, and we looked at all the different things. And he gave me the information, answered my questions and stuff. And then when it was all said and done, we shook hands, and I said goodbye. You know what he never did? He never asked me my name. You know, that is just the cardinal sin for a salesperson to meet somebody, spend all that time with them, and not ask their name. I mean, I guess it's just as bad to ask their name and forget it, but he he didn't give me a business card until I was leaving, and that's something you don't do. You give somebody a business card up front so they don't forget who you are. You know, he had a name tag on. and No, he, I'm take that back. He didn't have a name tag on. He just had a company shirt on. But, you know, the dealership, the RV dealership, spends all that money to get somebody to come in. I see their advertisements all the time. To, and they pay all that money to get somebody to come in, and then the salesperson drops the ball. And that that happens way too often. It happens in my store occasionally where, you know, a salesperson fails to introduce themselves or get the customer's name or, you know, acts maybe, I don't know, casually interested, not intensely interested in helping these folks. You know, if I see that in somebody then we take action. You know, we try to correct the behavior. But sometimes it's too late. You know, they've already blown out a number of customers, and we've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on advertising to get them to come in. So, you know, I want to have a uh, an experience just like you probably do. I tend to dictate the experience, what it's going to be when I go in to buy a product, whether it's like a typically, you know, maybe a motorcycle or a four-wheeler or a camper or a car, I'm going to tell them what what my expectations are, what I want. If they don't ask me, then I'm going to make sure that that they they find out. They're going to know uh, because I don't want 
to go down the path he wants to take me down. I want to go down the path I want to go down. So there are seven key marketing principles that you have to, or that any business has to address, figure out how they're going to talk about these things. Number, number one is the product. And that's the first thing that I'm interested in, I'm sure you are too, is finding out, do they have what I want to buy or what I'm interested in buying? Um, then, it, then it's price. You know, you, you have to understand what's the value proposition here. I look at price and value as two different things. I don't know if you do or not. But, you know, something can, can cost a whole lot of money, but to me it just doesn't seem worth that much money. That's when then pr- price exceeds value. Now, sometimes value, like when I went to buy steaks the other day, and I saw this, this uh, I guess, it looked like a filet to me. And matter of fact, it said filet on it, and that's what I saw, but it was only $8. There were two of them in there, and they were pretty thick. Well, I was in a big hurry, and I just didn't, it didn't register with me. So I got home, and I put them down in front of my wife. I was getting ready to grill them, and she said, sirloin filet? Never, I, we normally get tenderloin. I said, "Oh, did I mess up? I'm sorry." Well, I looked at them, and you know they they looked like fillets. So I put them on the grill. We seasoned them up, did all this stuff, make them taste better. Put them on the grill, grilled them. They were delicious. Now it really wasn't my cooking skill, but I paid eight dollars for two good sized fillets. What what they called fillets? Well, they weren't. You know, if I had bought regular fillets, they'd probably have been twenty dollars. For two good sized fillets, maybe I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure exactly sure how much they cost, but I felt like the value that I got way exceeded the price that I paid. So the next time I go to the grocery store, I may do that again. I may not get lucky as far as the cut is concerned, but the price and value scale is something that that you kind of evaluate in your head um, based on what what you're seeing, uh, what you're feeling as far as the product is concerned. And uh, your your perception is very important in, in that regard. You know, it, it's what drives somebody to go to a Lexus store as opposed to a Toyota store. They, they perceive that there's more value. It's definitely more money, but they perceive that there's more value there. Okay, the other thing that, that car dealerships and, I guess, trader places do is they have to promote their place, you know, where they are. These are all start with P, by the way. So you got product, you got price, and you got place. Now, I work really hard to make my facility look good. You know, I paid a lot of money to have this Nissan showroom built and the Ford showroom as well. We try to keep it looking nice. Um, You know, I went into a lawnmower store not too long ago, and um, I had tried to to get in touch with them, but they wouldn't answer the phone. And then I actually went in. I had a chainsaw that I, I I can't keep the chain on. It keeps flying off on me when I'm cutting wood. So, yeah, I do that. And um, so I took it in and left it with them, but the place was just nasty looking. Now, I don't know what your expectation of a lawnmower store is. Maybe you don't care. I don't know. It seems like a something that, that I do take into account, the appearance of a place. You know, I don't want to see the garbage cans overflowing with garbage. I don't want to see people out, sm- you know, out front smoking and flicking their cigarette butts all over the place. You know, old signs, old displays. To me, it just shows that the business doesn't care. So the place is important. Uh, promotion. You know, promotion is is how how are they saying the benefits or how are they expressing the benefits of buying from them? You know, we we spend a lot of money on television, 
Um, we don't do much radio. There are other dealers in the Tri-Cities in this area that spend a lot of money on radio. I just don't. Uh, I do have a radio show, but you won't see a lot or hear a lot of advertisements on the radio. Um, we just feel like TV is more effective because you get the audio part and you get the visual. And we have a message that communi- we think communicates better visually than just audio. We spend a lot of money online. Online advertising is probably 75% of our advertising budget. And the reason is because everybody has a device. I mean, you used to market to the television set or to the radio station or the newspaper. That was it. And then direct mail came along, and dealers started dumping junk mail into people's mailboxes, which we don't do that. We used to. It used to be very effective. It's not anymore. And so now the, the advertising place that we try to occupy is the thing you have in your pocket or your purse. And that's not just us. That's everybody. Because we can target it to the people that are the, the most likely folks to, to buy from us. There's this thing called geofencing. It's really interesting. So if you have a device in it, let's say that you have, um, you have gone to a Chevrolet dealership in the Tri-Cities, and you were there at their dealership shopping for a car. Well, your phone, if you have your location set on, it knows everywhere you go. And since you were in that dealership, if they have your phone number and your email address, if you go shop in another dealership, they have put something called a geofence around certain areas and certain dealerships, their competitors. If you are if you walk into that dealership, the next time you pick up your phone, guess what ad you'll see? You'll see the ad for the dealership that you just left. And that is directly it's called geofencing and it's targeting directly to the people that are shopping your business and you know maybe in the process of buying a car that's scary isn't it but that's the way it it works i don't know how how you get out of that unless you just disable the location um tracking on your on your telephone you ever notice how amazon if you buy a lot on amazon that that they will serve up ads or for products and stuff that they think you might be interested in. Well, how do they know that? Well, it's based on other things that you've clicked on and shopped for and so forth. Uh, I'm still getting emails from a Chevrolet dealer that I bought at that Corvette from uh, a year and a half ago. And they still send me ads for their services because of that connection that I made a long time ago. They'll follow you around. The only way to... to Eliminate that as far as email is concerned is to send them to your junk mail. And then they will automatically go into the junk and you'll never see them on your regular email feed. But this is a huge marketing opportunity for businesses. It's how they reach out and make their advertising dollars more effective. So we have product, price, place, promotion, and now we're down to the people. Now, you know, if your people do not represent you well in your business, then that's your fault. It's not somebody else's fault. You hired them, and you either trained them or didn't train them, and then retrain them, and then constantly reinforce and remind them to do your process or, or you know, behave in a certain way. You know, to I think uh, Pals does a fabulous job of hiring people and training people. They're the the regional hot dog stand. If you've never heard of it, if you're a a uh, podcast listener, you've never heard of PALS, P-A-L-S, but Google it. Pretty amazing organization. But they do a great job hiring people. Uh, rarely will you go to a PALS drive through window 
and meet a person without a smile on their face and, and you not feel like they appreciate your business. That doesn't just happen. That is something that is trained. Well, first it's hired and then it's trained. We do the same thing at our dealership, just not as well as PALS does. I don't think anybody does it as well as they do. You have to be able to um, get your people on board with your message, and they understand that so that they can communicate it every single time they deal with one of your customers. Okay, I'm going to take my last break. I'll be back here in just a minute. So people are very important, but so is the process. Um, The process that you use is your kind of like an assembly line. You know, when you have somebody to come in to buy a car, what is the process? Well, it's all dictated by what's the customer there to accomplish. In in my book, I mean, that's one of the first things I want to know. So what are you trying to accomplish today? Because a lot of people, they really are just looking. They don't want to buy a car today. They don't need to buy a car today. And you shouldn't try to force them to buy a car today. But that's not the process at a lot of dealerships, and you'll figure that out as soon as you walk in. You will feel the pressure. And when you feel that, you might be in the wrong dealership for you. If you feel pressure uh, being exerted by a salesperson to make a, a decision today when you're not ready, then you know gather your stuff up and leave. You can say bye if you want to, but you don't have to put up with that. And But some stores, that is the culture. That is the the way they have things set up. If you say no to the first guy, there's another guy right there behind him to put a little bit more pressure on you to get you to say yes. And too many people succumb to it. It's sad. But you don't have to. Um, I think there's an innate thing in all of us that that sometimes we just don't want to embarrass somebody by saying, you know, by leaving or, or... by saying that they're just not ready to do something today, they'd rather just kind of go along with it. Well, that can be a very costly mistake and one that too many people make. Well, I hope I've given you a little bit of an inside view of of how car dealers and any other businesses look at advertising and marketing and uh, the different things that we do to try to attract customers. Sometimes they end up very good and work really well, and the image of the store lines up with with what you experience in the store, and sometimes it just doesn't. And they say they're the greatest people in the world. They end up being a bunch of bandits. That's what you have to watch out for. Well, thanks for listening to this edition of My Car Guru, and I'll see you next time.